Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, 2000 Pop Punk and Emo Pop Retrospective. Uh, I am as, I as always don't have a joke this week. I am as always Elaine and with me there is another person here. Hello, it's me, Sybil, and if you look over there at the very end of this episode, there will be a cameo from Boba Fett. <laughs> what? It makes sense if you're caught up on bad television. Uh, today we are having a special episode. On a special episode of Gotta Get Out of This Town, we discuss, um, I don't know, racism? I don't even know that there's that much of that on this record. <laughs> I, I couldn't, this record is not problematic, but I was making the very special episode joke and I couldn't find anything. Very special episodes can also be about gay people and AIDS. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. Fuck Reagan. Fuck Thatcher. Yeah. <laughs> Throat goat 84, baby. Uh, so what are we talking about today? We are talking about Welcome Interstate Managers by Fountains of Wayne. Yeah, it's a special episode, but it's a meaningful special episode because this is a 2003 record. So this came out in the same year where, you know, all of this stuff is coming out. But do you say that this is better or worse than Reliant K? I think it's going to be a more interesting discussion than Reliant K. Well, I don't know. I checked yesterday, uh, not yesterday, but I checked this day, was looking at our episodes. The Reliant K episode was the longest episode we did. We also have gotten a lot better about not lollygagging. And I think I don't have to explain a lot of American Christianity to you this time. Not what? Lollygagging. Sandbagging. Dragging our feet on topics. But yeah, this is like one of my favorite pop records ever. It is not OK Go by OK Go level of one of my favorite pop records ever, but it's up there. This is like a solid 4.5 out of 5 for me. I'd put it at a 4 just to cut to the chase right now. I enjoyed this. And yeah, even though this is very much not pop punk, uh, I wanted to talk about it because it's still pop, Stacey's Mom is almost a pop-punk song, sort of. It's more like straight-up a pop song, but it has those vibes. It has those, like, would-be-in-an-American-pie soundtrack vibes of pop-punk. Yeah. I thought talking about this was going to be fun, so we're doing this. Uh, for what it's worth, I think we will enjoy ourselves.
So just to offer a quick and very much non-comprehensive st history of uh, Fountains of Wayne, Fountains of Wayne is sort of like a rock slash power pop band from New York City. They formed in 1995. The band is comprised of Chris Collywood and Adam Schissinger, which are the two main songwriters, uh, Jody Porter and Brian Young, specifically uh, Collingwood is uh, on voice, Porter is on guitar, uh, Schisslinger is on bass and other things, and uh, Young is on drum. Basically, after 97, where they had a different bassist, the, the, well, another bassist, the formation didn't change much, they, they stuck with the four people. And yeah, they mostly toured around the New York scene in the 90s, until they got their big major break with Atlantic Records, which was Utopia Parkway, which had big critical success, really poor commercial success, um, so that they were dropped by their label. For what it's worth, I think Utopia Parkway is a perfectly good record. It is not as good as this record. I did not enjoy it as much, but I understand why it was very, very critically acclaimed at the time. Mm -hmm. After failing to reach any kind of success with Parkway, they were dropped by Atlantic. All of the um, members of the band sort of went and do their own sort of side projects for a while. Schieslinger uh, co-wrote many of the songs for the Josie and the Pussycat films, which I thought was very interesting. It does track with some of the lyrics on this. And also worked with a bunch of bands, like They Might Be Giants, which we love. Mm-hmm. When are we doing our They Might Be Giant spin-off? There's a lot of records to talk about. I think the big thing is there are definitely a couple of those that are way too many tracks. At least with our current format. We could do a, a podcast that's one episode, one track. I'm not opposed to this. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I mean, the best They Might Be Giant song is clearly Dr. Worm, and I will not take, uh, take discussion on that. I'm incredibly hot on Dr. Worm. I'm fine with that. After going around doing sort of their own side project, the band quickly reunites for, to record the cover of Better Things by the Kinks for a tribute album. And eventually they sort of discuss plans for a new record. It takes them a while to actually find a new label. A big thing was that a lot of the labels wanted demos before actually giving them a contract. And they didn't want to make a demo. Uh, yeah, so they didn't want to make a demo because that felt, quote-unquote, sort of the meaning, which I'm not sure about that, but okay. So they signed two independent label uh, S-Cure Records, and they just made a record to for as per their quote, and then Escure Records distributed, and it was very much a commercial success, especially of the heels of Stasis Mom, which you know. So Stasis, I love Stasis Mom. I think it's a great song. I think it's a great song that shows a lot of good songwriting, but it is also like, yep, the template for, for being a hit one hit wonder. <laughs> So, when we get into the actual text of the album, there's some genius said at best about that. I am, I'm just saying that after Stacey's Mom, they will never really have any other big hit, and um, that, that makes sense. 
I love them. I think they're a really good band and think they're a really good songwriter, but also that makes sense. If, you're, if your first successful single is Stacey's Mom, you're not having a second song ever. No, not really. But but yeah. So yeah, they, they have a bit of commercial success and then they don't, like all good bands. So let's go and talk about this record because because it's good. It is good. What do we open with? Well, we're going to open up some Mexican wine. He was killed by a cellular phone explosion. They scattered his ashes across the ocean. The water was used to make baby lotion. The wheels of promotion were set into motion. But the sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be yours if you'll be mine I tried to change, but I changed my mind Think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine Uh, it's a really good opener. It's very much an opener. It's sort of like the simpler, it's sort of like the simpler, less structured song on the record. It's very short, but it also has a really good pop rock vibe that really opens the record, like pretty much introducing you to the sound of Fountains of Wayne, which is a very uh, 70s power poppy kind of very straightforward, kind of very catchy pop rock. Okay, I think that's a statement that I will have to push back on because saying there's one sound of Fountains of Wayne <laughs> when this album goes through at least six genres is a little bit of a stretch. That That is fair. That is fair. But you do see the connection for with when we talked about Teleton, right? You do see why I think that a lot of that is inspired by this? Yes, I can see that. Honestly, like, um, Mexican Wine is one of the songs that I have the least to talk about, again, because it's very much an intro. But it's a solid intro. It introduces a lot of like the themes, but like, uh, but like songwriting wise and uh, and music wise of the record. And uh, and yeah, it's pretty fun. Like it's nice. It's um, I didn't expect a story song to start, but it's a good speed. I was okay with this. I mean, I love that the record opens with he was killed by a cellular phone explosion. Yes. And this is before we had the brand that had to be recalled because it became infamous for exploding. That is one of those, like, The Simpson Predict 2020. Yep. Actually, let me pick up Genius. Oh, please don't read too far down this page because there's a bit that I'm going to read to you which will be insane. Okay, okay, let me, okay, let's go to that. Okay, I, let's do another round of Genius Said It Best with an annotation from a contributor about this song. Mm-hmm. Mexican Wine is the opening track to Fountains of Wayne's best-known and best-reviewed album, Welcome Interstate Managers. Each song on the album takes the perspective of a different character, from a recently fired pilot, to a boy with a crush on his girlfriend's mom, to some impatient diner customers, and somehow these vignettes come together as the best musical exploration of suburban life out there. For my money, Better Than Arcade Fire's The Suburbs and Green Day's American Idiot, two albums with similar pretensions, combined. The second one is not a high bar, come on. 
I just love calling them two albums with similar pretensions combined. And also, there's three more paragraphs. Don't stop me now. <laughs> do you want to go through all of this? I do. This is amazing. <laughs> okay. At its heart, wine is about the capriciousness of life. A man is killed in the silliest way possible. His cell phone explodes. <laughs> and the most important consequence of his death is someone else gets a promotion. A woman is careful to carry her pills with her, but one day she forgets them, and that's the day she needs them. <laughs> Finally, we get a big key change to make it sound like the last verse will be the most important or tragic story of all, and instead, the protagonist lost his job and doesn't really care. But you know what? All these events were out of the people's control, and the protagonist has figured out the best way to deal with it. Sit back, relax, and drink a glass of Mexican wine, capitalized like that's a brand, because you can't do shit about most things in life. After the success of Stacy's Mom, Fountains of Wayne had the potential to become a legitimately big power pop band. Wine was their follow-up single, but they took fire for showing kids pretending to drink wine in the video and it was pulled from the air. By the time Hey Julie, a fantastic song that probably should have been the second single, dropped, the band had lost all momentum and their status as a one-hit wonder was secured. I'm a record executive who's just never been given the chance. <laughs> this gives me more like video essay vibes than record executive. Like, this, this, is a, this is a failed folding idea for like music, this dude. <laughs> I, I just... Saw so there was a comment on this, and I was thinking, oh, okay, that'll be, that'll be some nice context from a fan. And then I got all of that, and oh, my lord, I couldn't have expected anything better. It's great, but I mean, it's not wrong. Like, suburban, like, Gen Xer sort of office worker suburban life, it's mostly the theme of the record. This is like a very office space record. But yeah, maybe don't... Arcade Fire and Green Day are not... Those two things are not the same. <laughs> no. Also, this is the first of many, I think almost every track on the album, just throwing in a bunch of, like, product placement with real company names in the lyrics. Okay, which one is here? Uh, United Airlines is a real chain, and High Times is a real magazine about weed. Yeah, I don't know if it's product placement. I think this is just that kind of mountain goat specificity, just like add very specific details to things. It, I don't think United. I don't think United Airlines paid Fountains of Wayne. I don't think they got paid, but that's what makes it happening on every track even weirder to me. I don't know. I see it more as like, you know, the meme with the mountain goats is they always specify, like, always mention, like, very specific, like, street, um, streets and, like, streets numbers. Uh, so I see it like this. It's just, like, a very, very specificity in the songwriting that gives it, like, a very different vibe to just being super generic. All right. Uh, but yeah, no, this is a really good song, and I really like the bit with the trumpets. I think it's like a very straightforward rock song and then there's like a really wonderful bit with like sort of uh, strings and trumpet on the bridge and it's like, oh, this is lovely. I'm always a sucker for brass. Mm-hmm. Despite you hating ska. I have come around on ska a little since we started this show. 
Uh, we started the show just in time for the death of Ska, but yeah. We started this show just in time for the revival of Ska. From the pandemic, Ska will rise. Oh, that's what they meant by third wave? Yeah. <laughs> the, Om- the Omicron strain of Ska. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait till we get to Omega, and then you're just suddenly going to see the trumpet rise from the ground. Let's go to the next song. Bright Future in Sales. Try to kill an hour with the whiskey sour If this time I might have just one more I gotta do some quick reading for the big meeting But my head is spinning and I can't quite open my eyes As long as I don't have to drive I'm gonna get my shit together Oh, this is one of the best songs of the record. <laughs> this one is a little surf rockier, which is something I have mixed feelings on. But the... I compare this more to T-Rex than surf rock. Okay, okay. I can see that push. This feels like a very sort of T-Rexy kind of 70s, like, power pop, kind of bluesy rock slash power pop kind of song. And uh, paired with a very, as I was saying, like, Office Space, 2000 Office Worker Gen Xer vibes, which is very interesting. The lyrics are better than expected. This one does not name a specific brand. The closest it comes is the Port Authority, which, you know, how much that counts, I'll, I'll give it that. But uh, this is a poppier tune, and the length on these opening tracks, all of them are three to four minutes. This one is just over three. Good speed, and everything comes together. I like it. Yeah, uh, it's a really... So- Again, this record will change, like, style a lot. But I definitely see a lot of T-Rex influence in here, like this kind of like 70s blues Rocky with like a heavy pop influence. And I like, I think it really works. And I think it's really interesting when you pair it with like this very 2000 songwriting. Not to mention that we have two good genius annotations on this, one of which is definitely from the same guy as the last one. And the other is some interesting trivia about this. Okay, go for it. Going with the trivia first, from a quote with Adam Schlesinger about the lyrics in an AV Club interview, It's fun because Chris's brother works for Merck, the pharmaceutical company. He and his friends used to come to our shows and literally say, That's us, dude, and high-five about it. That's true. I don't even remember writing that song now, but it's really fun to play, and it's fun to have an audience sing along to get my shit together. Yeah. Just, uh... That's the opening of the chorus, and it's really great, because you also have, like, kind of backing vocals. The backing vocals on this are astounding. They are so tasteful, so fun. Um, And, yeah, backing vocals for live on this record, this record, like, does them perfectly. There's a lot of harmonizing, there's a lot of, whoa, in the background. So good. Uh, And, yeah, again, I think what needs to not be understated is how tight a lot of these choruses are. Like, the chorus on this is just, like, supremely catchy. And then it goes into sort of, like, a bluesy guitar thing. This is wonderful. And now, the one that you're waiting for. 
The second track from Fountains of Wayne's third album, Welcome Interstate Managers, Bright Future in Sales is a rocking power-pop anthem about a binge-drinking salesman trying to pull himself out of his alcoholism as he deals with work while bouncing between being hungover and drinking more, all the time promising himself he's gonna get his shit together this time. The song was also used in the party scene in the fourth episode of Season 5 of Malcolm in the Middle, Thanksgiving. This is sort of like baby's first pop can also be a smart and cool genre record. This is very much a record where like you have all of the fucking music nerds who are like, oh, I only listen to like prog rock or whatever. And then they come to this and it's like, oh, pop can be good too. So there, there's sort of like still level of wankery sometimes when people discuss this. This is a very like, it was not extremely successful. So it's not like a mainstream record, but it's also... One of those, the first obscure record people come in contact with, basically, I'm trying to say. It's like, so I think this is the kind, it, it does, the genius annotation, I think, do attract the kind of people who are still growing out of their sort of nerdy, um, debate me phase. I never got out of my debate me phase, Ellie. <laughs> well, I can still bring a podcast to a halt just by uttering those two words. <laughs> I save it like a secret weapon. Okay. <laughs> if you ever hear me utter those words, you know that I am either pissed or I am just done with your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we never had a debate on this show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if I... Here's the thing. I'll get into an argument, but if you ever hear me utter the words debate me, I am trying to destroy everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, uh, I am glad I am personally out of my debate me phase for a long while at this point. <laughs> Someday I will be the sexy Shapiro sister, and then you will all be ruined. I've already gone on record on Twitter saying this. This is a fucking perfect pop song. <laughs> like, I'll give you that. there is an argument that, the, the, you know, the argument that you say is that if you know Fountains of Wayne from Stacey's Mom, which is sort of like a cheesy pop song, do you listen to the whole record because it's better than this and it's different and blah, blah, blah. This is still a near perfect pop song. <laughs> there's a reason why this was a hit and there's a good reason that this was a hit. This is incredibly catchy, incredibly well-constructed. The production is extremely tasteful. The, it has backing vocals. It has tiny synths, very, very subtle synths. The lyrics are sort of awkward and dorky and funny and clearly not super serious. And they're very playful and fun. And they show this very awkward kind of main character. That's great. I mean, the video is sort of gross, but this is great. The video is also made to make fun of a lot of 80s movie comedies. It's referential. It is referential, but also like, I don't know, the fucking gaze of the camera is not great. 
All right. It is problematic. Um, it is problematic. Well, how else are you going to lure in the preteens and their papas if you don't have a pole dance on top of the kitchen counter? <laughs> also, preteens and their papas is definitely the worst thing I'm going to say this week. that you you always manage to top yourself in terms of worse things that you say no i can't top myself i'm not one of the shapiro siblings (laughs) (laughs) can we make this not the ben shapiro episode (laughs) fountains of shapiro (laughs) shapiro's balls you do no 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 we're not going down i don't know i don't know what we can really add to discussion about this this is a pitch perfect pop song it was played everywhere we it's really hard to add anything other than it's good I could go without ever hearing it again, and I've still heard it enough in my lifetime. Oh, I don't. I, I listen to this voluntarily. I love this song. <laughs> okay, I'm actually a little surprised by that. I mean, I really like this record, and I really like this song. What can I say? Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a terrible judgment to make. It's just like, all right, just a little spot. It's speechless. Um, This is... It's good. It was one of the first songs to reach number one on iTunes Store's uh, most downloaded songs. Because, again, digital is very new at this point in time. And it also probably has something to do with the fact that a lot of things on the iTunes Music Store, you either got the single as a single, or they wouldn't let you download the single you wanted from the album itself. Because fuck you, pay for the whole record. That happened a lot early on, and it's what kept me from getting onto the iTunes Music Store. That's fair. The the awful interface didn't play a part in that? Do you really want me to go back in time to being a weird zealot from the 2000s and discuss my reasons for not doing it? Because I could. Go for it. Time travel, Sable. <laughs> there were a lot of different things that people did digging into it where uh, Apple actually made the code run worse on Windows just to make it go, oh, see, you should have been on a Mac with our software. Which, you know, they had the music industry over a barrel in trying to get their stuff out until there were other alternate storefronts. But it doesn't mean that that was good for consumers in any way, especially when you were locked into certain bit rates, at least originally. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? I was one of those flack bitches back then, too. Yeah. (laughs) Of course you were. Do you have a record player? Yes. Okay. That's so. I I have bought vinyls in 2022. I mean, you're a hip... Like, you're also, like, sort of like a... Audiophile hipster? What is the best definition for that? that? I'm not surprised. Probably both. Hey, here's this actual sony walkman in my hands that was purchased in the last two months oh what yeah okay that one surprised me <laughs> that one that one's a surprise yep nwa55 same model that uh, kojima's taking screenshots of all the time mm-hmm. 
sat together in period one, Fridays at 8.15. Now I see your face in the strangest places, movies and magazines. I saw you talking to Christopher Walken on my TV screen. So, let's talk about the other thing that's probably going to get heated on this record. Hackensack! Oh, come on, you're overestimating my heat. I just think that this is a really good song, and the fucking twee cover by Katy Perry just doesn't do it justice. This is Vibes Dad Rock. Ah, it's not even Dad Rock. This is sort of like a folksy ballad. It's really good. Like, it's uh, really well written. It's about, you know, someone, like, thinking about an old, like, friend-slash-lover-slash-boot that left the small town they live in um, for a while. And it's, like, it's really sad and resigned and has, like, this somber tone with, like, a very good pop polish. Some really good line, like, I I saw you talking to Christopher Walken on my TV screen, which, like, yeah, there is a very Mountain Ghost line. Um, and Christopher Walken is a brand, so he counts. <laughs> counts as product placement. I'm just saying, at one point in time, you could have said Christopher Walken is a character actor. And these days, Christopher Walken is a meme. Fair. I mean, that's most actors from like 10 years ago. But he's been working since the 80s. Yeah, I mean, the same is true for, like, Jeff Goldblum and shit. Like, we are living into the mimification of culture. Okay, Jeff Goldblum has a lot, lot more baggage, though. Fair, but aside from that, like, we live in we live in times where we put things on pedestal and turn them into memes until they lose any, like, significance. Like, Bill Murray is a meme. Like, every possible actor from, like, that era is a meme now. Boba Fett is a meme now. I don't know anything about Boba Fett. <laughs> I just I just couldn't resist, sorry. I know that, that Boba Fett is a dude in armor in that one film, and people love him for some reason, and I don't get it. It's because he had honor, Ellie. Did he? Doesn't he just die? Yes. The only thing I remember about Boba Fett is that in that film it falls into a hole or something. That hole is the Sarlacc, thank you very much. The what? <laughs> no, I can't do this, Steve. You're fine. <laughs> Hackensack is an interesting track that I was half warned about because you said you were less than fond of the Katy Perry cover. I don't like it. I don't I don't think it I think that a lot sorry. Sorry to catch you, but I think a lot of the appeal of this track is that the delivery is very somber and refined. And the very, very polished pop singing on of Katy Perry on this cover just doesn't work. Just doesn't doesn't convey the same like sort of like sad feelings of this song. Well, it also has a whole different vibe when it's a song about a girl you used to know and someone pining after her. And Katy Perry gives it a "I wish I could be her" vibe instead of. I wish she'd come back to me patheticness. That is fair. I do like the patheticness. The patheticness is cool. Uh, it's it's nice. The slow strum in the background is a good compliment to a simple beat. It's a very simple track. It is, as I said, I think of it as vibes dad rock, but this is a solid song. 
I got I don't know. I think we have a different concept of dad rock because to me dad rock is queen. Mm, I can also think of a 70s generic rock band as being dad rock. Fair enough. This this is one of the tracks that doesn't sound very 70 to me. This is, feels more like a straight up folk ballad, but fair. I think there are folksier tracks on the record. I mean, there is literally a country track, which uh, not being American, I don't understand. But like, I'll let you have that track. Oh, we'll get there. Where is the next song? Next up is No Better Place. Starts with the Eddie Vedder guitar. Yeah, this, oh come on! This is like psychedelic pop guitar. This is like extremely seventies. This is not Pearl Jam. It starts with Eddie Vedder guitar. I said I didn't say the whole thing sounded like Pearl Jam. Fair enough, uh, because yeah, to me this is like where they start because there is also a true line on this record of them to try them trying to do very Beatlesy kind of Oasisy revival psychedelic shit. And, like, this is the first time where we get those kind of uh, psychedelic sort of, like, weird guitars, which are pretty fun. And uh, some great backing vocals. There's that oh effect, which is extremely Oasis. I mean, it's not one of my favorites on the record. I like them better when they're a bit more straightforward, Little Rock, but it's another excellent song. I don't remember what the lyrics are about on this one. This is the one about you are leaving New York, but you have nowhere better in mind. You're just getting out of the city. Good plan, stupid. I mean, to be fair, New York is very expensive. Well, it's it's interesting because the narrator is talking about how they miss their friend and you it sucks that you're gone. But it, I don't know if this conveys a bitterness or just, look what you're missing out on, loser, when you're talking about... It may be the whiskey talking, but the whiskey says I miss you every day, so I taxi to an all-night party, park me in the corner in an old chair, sip my drink and stare out into space. Just all the things you can't get nowhere else. I'm just spending them drunk. <laughs> I don't know. I, I It does feel sad to me. Like, it does feel like that kind of, like, missing friend sad. I don't, I don't see it as a, as a spiteful kind of thing. I believe the uh, incredibly weird thing you were mentioning in the background is uh, a pedal steel guitar. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. That thing. But yeah, no, this is a just wonderful little, again, wonderful little pop song. Most of, it's difficult to talk about a lot of this pop song without becoming the guy in the genius comments, because you either go look at all the tiny details of the production and the songwriting, or you just go, this is fun. This is a good pop song. This sketchy, this has some good bits, the bridge is great. Oh, every song on this record, also very interestingly for the genre, any song on this record either has a... And this is a connection with a really bad record that we did recently, which was the American Hi-Fi record. Every song on this record either has a musical break or kind of a solo on it. 
which is very interesting because it is very good to compare with like the American hi-fi record, which was also trying to be sort of like a power poppy kind of thing. And the, the solos dragged so much and felt out of place. And structurally in this record, I love the solos. They're very short, they're very tasteful, and they are really good as connective tissues between segments of the song. Just like, again, like on this song, on Stacy's Mom. Was it Stacy's Mom? Which was the song with... Yeah, on Stacy's Mom, that's a synth solo um, that really escalates the mood before the key change. It's like the solo sort of leads up to the key change. And they're also like very short and really tasteful and really like, they have really a really, they very much have a function in the structure of the song, unlike a lot of the bad solos, which are just like, let's stop for a second. And yeah, I think it's interesting to note, these people are very good songwriters, which is both like in terms of writing, but especially in terms of just pop structure. And that is one of the reasons why I love this record and a lot of people love this record because this is tech this is textbook this is textbook pop songwriting and it's great. No, I understand that. That's it. That was my comment on it. It's not a song that I'm against. It's it is hard to find what to say about some of these early tracks other than they're surprising me with constant shifts between genre, the lyrics going a little harder than expected. And then there's that thread of just so much referential stuff. This one goes in hard on New York. Uh, a second theme is that a lot of the early album is just taking place in the Northeast U.S. Uh, I was waiting at any time for it to go full Boston townie on me, but it never did. No California on this record, though. I guess that's a reference to Californian Hackensack. I bet you're in L.A. That's where everyone ends up these days. Yeah, but it's not really a charmed reference to it. Everyone is, everyone in this record, every narrator is talking about how much better it is on the East Coast. Oh, yeah. I mean, these dudes are very much like New Yorkers. I imagine them talking with whatever accent New Yorkers always have in movies that we discussed previously. I walk in here. You're with walk-in. So, can you explain to me why like, especially musical artists who are from New York only talk about New York. Many musical artists are from many other places in America. And, like, the only person that talks about where they are as much as a bunch of New York artists talk about New York are fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers talking about California. So, I don't know what's going on there. It just seems like a very expensive, like... Garbage bin to live in? <laughs> you said it, not me. Um, I, I, I don't know if I offended someone. New York seems dreadful from anything that I've seen of it. I just I just laughed. You're fine. <laughs> um, I think you're overlooking that, especially through the 90s, a lot of rap came with California representation, West Coast, East Coast. There were whole wars about that with body counts but uh the i can see where you're coming from there is a specific type of individual that is just the insufferable new york type 
who will never let you forget they are in one of the biggest cities because that is their personality since they have nothing else that makes them stand out among other people, aside from perhaps being a complete prick and joyless to be around. I am just saying, New York is sort of the London of the America, and no one who lives in London likes or talks about London. <laughs> it's like, it's just like... It's just like an incredible contrast, which is like, I sort of associate the two places because they're all like the big town of the, 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 the big sort of like metropolitan town of the, the country. And it's like, as someone who lived in London, we all hate London. <laughs> it's shit. But you had the tube. It's great. I love the public transport. No one who lives in London will ever write a song about how great London is. We fucking hate it. Next track is Valley Winter Song. The snow is coming down on our new England town, and it's been falling all day long. What else is now? What could I do? I wrote a Valley Winter Song to play for you. It's a lovely little, like, slow ballad, again, with sort of a folksy vibe, a bit less somber than Hack and Sack. Very folksy. It's very pleasant. This is just, like, a very pleasant song. There's not a lot that I have to say about it, except, like, you know, it's very pleasant, has, like, that very sort of, like, ethereal feeling on that chorus with the backing vocals that work very well. I don't know how many, many times I will say that the backing vocals on this record are great, but they are great. And there's like a rising musical break at some point, it's not really a solo, because everything is sort of playing, which is just like, delightful. It's very good. This song about trying to cheer up your partner in the snowy depths of the New England winter was used for an L.L. Bean commercial in 2008 just to continue with all the advertisements. This one literally was paid. For a what commercial? L.L. Bean, which is basically the most irritating, upper-crushed, tip-top, we-have-nicer-sweaters-than-you, ho-ho, type of rich person asshole clothing. Oh, no. Yep. To be fair, we're also talking about New England, which is, you know, the kind of place where you could just... Spray and pray and not really do anything to hurt humanity by and large. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're we're making enemies with like half of America this episode. <laughs> I'm on the west coast and those people fucking burn up in direct sunlight. Bring it. <laughs> New England New England is where fucking society takes place. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I just think that might have been a bit extreme, but sure. Is New England like a state? Uh, New England is a region. Okay. In which state? Um, New Hampshire, Vermont, etc. Like, just that upper, far north. Some of the upper chunks of New York, the state also probably count. Okay, fair. Uh, Chris Collingwood said that this was literally a song about being stuck in your house and having seasonal depression in winter because you're snowed in. So, 
that's why this whole thing feels real weird to me with just we're gonna go commercial with it yeah it is a weird choice for a song because this is like i don't think it's it's not a hack and sack it's not like a completely sad song but it's a very sort of like I guess seasonal depression is a good way to look at it it's like sort of sad and like it's like chill and sad at the same time it's not something that happened to me sad it's like oh everything sort of sucks sad but it's like also like sort of chill you will recognize from the okay go okay go episode mm -hmm. uh they do the little falsetto kind of bit singing which i'm always like completely up for i love that shit they, they just like little accent in the singing, doing enough of set of voice, and it's uh, and it's uh, great. It's like the best thing ever. Do we have anything else to say about this? I do not. I'm just stalling before the next track. Oh, you don't like all kinds of time? No, no, I don't. He takes a step back. He's under. I think this is my personal low for the record. Really? Yes. I I don't love the song. I think it's perfectly good. I mean, my first note for this song is, can we get Fall of the Star High School running back? We have Fall of the Star High School running back at home. <laughs> the Fall of the Star High School running back at home. Yeah, that, that tracks. It is a variety of things that are just designed to grate on me. It's a song about the big game and that last moment. So it's turning a team sport into one dude has to be the hero. It's very slow. This sounds like it is performed at 75% speed compared to a lot of the generally good clip of the rest of the album. It's four and a half minutes. It's just everything belongs to him. And... It was used in an actual NFL promo video just to add the icing on the shit Sunday. Yeah, the lyrics are kind of extremely American, which, I don't know, it's not my thing. It's but... extremely American in a way that is very against what I like about this country. This would be Al Bundy, the failed high school quarterback turned shoe salesman who runs an anti-women's league. This would be his anthem. Yeah, you know, back in the day, I just saw the opportunity and I took it. And that's, But it doesn't have the charm of everything to do with Married with Children or the realism. It's just the saccharine fantasy, and I hate it. And that is completely fair. I think this musically is sort of interesting and pleasant. It starts very much as a pop ballad, again, in the style of The Calling, the kind of music that we hate on this podcast. But it moves into, again, almost a, like, sort of, like, 70s psychedelic pop ballad, which I find it very interesting. It's not, it doesn't go full, like, weird, but it goes from, like, a very standard radio rock ballad into something a bit weirder and a bit more, like, 
more like, you know, retro-inspired. It has, like, this distorted solo, which is, like... Again, you can see connections with Oasis, but I, I feel it's more that they are both taking from that kind of Beatles-y kind of tradition, rather than they want to be Oasis, specifically. And this is one of the songs that honestly grew on me. Like, I understand all of your problems with the songwriting. For me, the figure of the high school football player is so fucking detached from my culture. I don't have any opinion about it. Because you Americans are weird about football and I don't get it. I Musically, I find this very pleasant, especially how the guitars get in the second half. It starts sort of bland. And it starts with sort of this radio pop structure. But then it, it goes into really interesting places, especially with what the guitar is doing. And this is definitely one of the songs that was one of my least favorite at the beginning, but definitely grew on me on repeated listens, at least musically. Now, here is the part where I will bring in my Omega burn on this, which is that Schlesinger did, in fact, write it pretty much the way I was saying, where it's, I thought I would write a song where time seems to slow down. And I thought about an old Paul Simon track called Night Game, and I wanted that feeling, so I worked on the lyrics, and then I set it to music that implied slow motion. And when the NFL later licensed the song for a spot featuring classic slow motion footage of quarterbacks, I could not have been happier, because I felt like my idea had come across. I think they I think the idea is fine. I don't think that's a problem that it tries to be very slow and very like dreamy. I think it succeeded what it's doing. I think if this played at a better pace, which is what a lot of Schlesinger's strong points are, because he gets a good flow all over this record. I think it's trying to do that and then crank it down that makes this so grating for me. Because it does not have four and a half minutes worth of material here. It's just coming out like this. Oh, I think I disagree on the not having four minutes of material. Like, it's slow, but the song has a good evolution. Again, the guitar gets does a whole journey. How about we move on? to a song that keeps making me think of Prince even though it sounds nothing like him, Little Red Light. Basically, Bright Future in sales again, but with more of a power, direct power pop structure. I really like this. I, I really like the Bright Future in sales, and this is, again, sort of a song about office work in New York and sort of being sad and being frustrated, set to a really sort of catchy and, like, galloping forward kind of power pop sound. It really works. I don't know if I have much to say more than what I've said on Bright Future in Sales. I guess this sounds less T-Rexy and more directly power poppy, but 
They're fantastic and have like great backing vocals from the pre-chorus. And uh, yeah, funnily enough, they don't they don't mention the brand of the phone. Which yes, is they the do. Thing that you, they do on my big black Radio Shack digital portable phone. Oh, is Radio Shack? I thought Radio Shack was a store. Radio Shack was basically, in some ways, an importer of things who would slap their label on them. Oh, okay. So, saying that you got a Radio Shack something kind of was a brand, even if, yeah, it might have just been a rebranded Casio or whatever. Mm-hmm, that is fair. Anyway, they're dead now, so... Yeah, we will all be dead at some point. Yes, but I will hopefully not be as exploitative as Radio Shack was before I die. Anyway, uh, I like little... I like Little Red Light. It has a very 80s instrumentation, and especially the Radio Shack reference is also a throwback to that era more than anything. But there's a weird reverb on the guitar in this that really takes me back to not quite. Yes, it's not that technical as your owner of a lonely heart, etc., but it's... I couldn't find a one-to-one comparison, but this feels like something that would have been prog-adjacent in that era, coming out of the 70s into synthesizers, into electronic equipment being more available. Yeah, no, this is, a, again, this is one, another one of the fast songs on the record. It's so fun. It's really fun. It's, uh, it is sort of like, again, it's a, it is a frustration song. It's I think it's a breakup song because the core of the point is that you're not. No one is calling you. The person that you're missing is not calling you. But it also puts in enough references and enough things to still fit with the um, sort of office work Gen Xer kind of vibes this record has. The line that really makes me think, and maybe this is just because of the era I grew up, that this has an '80s-ish vibe, is there's one reference to email it's basically the only thing that would place this any later than 1980 is the little red lights not blinking on the desktop mailbox of my big black laptop and i just think of the absolute monsters that my grandfather had when he worked in the navy and it was just this like it was basically a fucking briefcase with a tiny screen and like speakers rimming it, but just to fit all the components in it, it was heavy. Uh, and then we go to the next song, which is Hey Julie, if I remember correctly. I don't have the track in front of me. It is. But I think. Okay, cool. Working all day for a mean little man with a clip on tie and a rub on tan. He's got me running around the office like a dog around a track. But when I get back home, you're always there to rub my back. This is one of the songs where one of my first notes on it is uh, Sybil will hate this because you always hate the sort of happy acoustic song. So here's the thing. This is so short, I'm okay with it. I really like this song. I think it's cute and sweet. I just 
I just could hear you comparing it to Jack Johnson in my mind when, no, I, no. when we, I um, wrote my notes. <laughs> the thing that instantly had me perking up as it starts is it opens with what sounds like somebody clinking on little glass bottles for noise. It's it's a very different sound, and it's like, okay, okay, I'm listening. Yeah, this is a very short acoustic sound. There's a lot, you know, snapping, and there's acoustic guitar, and it's very upbeat, and it's very almost like nursery rhyme It's very simple. Uh, it has very, like, sweet relationship lyrics about working for a shitty boss and coming home to a person that makes you happy, and it's great. It's like, it's simple, it's cute, it's sweet, and uh, it still works within the theme of the record, which, again... Is misery. Gen X, office space, office worker, and misery. <laughs> there really aren't many happy tracks on this album, so this was a nice respite. Yeah, not really, but... <laughs> Also, I don't know how much I have to say. This is just like, just like sort of super fucking twee, but in a nice way. Well, good news. We can also talk about a segue into one of my notes. This song was featured in an episode of Scrubs when JD began dating a woman named Julie. Of course this was in Scrubs. This is like the most fucking Zach Braff song ever. And... Nothing is more Zach Braff than just calling out a woman named Julie with a song named Hey Julie, no matter how relevant it is or not. That is that is bad filmmaking. <laughs> there is a track later on the record I refer to as Garden State Soundtrack's Jungian Shadow. So uh, we'll get there. <laughs> that just sounds like the name of a Yu-Gi-Oh card. <laughs> I play the Blue Eyes White Dragon and then I'm going to fuck it. Hallie's Waitress is track 10. What? <laughs> what? Oh, that was a meme that was going around. Oh, no. I mean, his head does look kind of like a penis. His penis also looks kind of like a penis. I've seen some art. Ask. Waitress is fine. It's probably one of my lowest songs of the record. This is where the record sort of stuff start getting off Durrell for a bit. I love this. Okay, I would have figured that you love this. This is very Peter Gabriel. That was what I was thinking. Um, but it is Halley's Waitress as a reference to Halley's Comet. Are you familiar with that one? Um, vaguely, but please explain for the audience. It is on an orbit where it rolls by the Earth once every 76 years. So Halley's Waitress is just, you have someone serving your table who you will only see sporadically on a rare loop away from you. It's a good joke, and especially with the instrumentation with just a low-key piano, uh, a little more of a funky guitar than you usually get. It does have, yeah, Peter Gabriel vibes. Uh, I wrote down that 
if you had a female vocalist on this, this could be a B-side from more than a few of my favorite artists. Huh, interesting. Um, I don't know, I just think this is where the record sort of start trying doing a lot of weird shit. And I like it more for the pop stuff, for the tight pop stuff. This is definitely different. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a song that really works for what it is. I guess saying that it's one of the worst songs for me is not fair, but it's definitely one of the songs that when I'm in the mood for this record, I would probably skip. Because when I'm in the mood for this record, I'm in the mood for the stuff like, you know, Little Red Light and Hey Julie. And this sort of comes on a sort of really left field. But for what it is, again, this is a very 70s kind of like prog, not proggy, but like art pop song. It has like the sort of ethereal vibe. It's actually much more ugly American than you realize. How so? Oh, because of the whole like going to Hollywood and shit? She has her agent? Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Quote from an interview with Schlesinger. It started as an inside joke on tour, sitting around waiting for bad service. Chris made fun of me on the road for being an impatient New Yorker. We'd be in Nebraska and I'd be like, what the hell is this? This place would never make it in New York. And so after a lot of mocking, I started playing with it against this this wistful piano music. And it gave a song the weird melancholy that isn't there in the lyrics. So yes, it's because Adam Schlesinger was an impatient asshole, but it turned into something weird and arty. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I think that... I think he's right. I'm sorry for the guy because he's dead. Um, Yeah, we didn't mention it, but Schlesinger died early in the pandemic of COVID complications. Yeah, for COVID, which is sad. It's shit. It's not a good thing. I'm sorry for him. But don't fucking wait. Wait staff are fucking human. And they already lived the shittiest life that you can imagine. Give them some fucking slack for fuck's sake. Hell, show this guy Twin Peaks. You know what they weren't doing in that fucking show when they were away from the big city? They weren't waiting around your table flitting from thing to thing. They had downtime. It was charming. That's right. I'm going to tell the dead guy he should have watched Twin Peaks. It's Peak Sybil. <laughs> No, but seriously, like, fucking, I hate this shit. Like, I see, I see, it, it, you say that it's very American, but, like, I see it in fucking supermarkets here. It's like, people, like, people shout and complain about the line being too slow and shit, and it's like, dude, the, the cash people already have a really shitty job. Come on, you can, you can definitely wait five minutes for them to, like, do whatever. Don't make other people's lives shittier. That is, uh, uh, for what it's know, worth, it annoys me. You you did hear about the um, woman who went viral because the Aldi cashier scanned her groceries too fast, right? And she had a screaming breakdown. I I, I didn't. Oh yeah, that was a UK story uh, a few months ago. Uh, go on. That's basically it. This woman was listened to and got in the press talking about how the cashier was too aggressively scanning all her things and she couldn't bag them fast enough and it's just like you fucking scrub work a job Ooh, aggressively scans your things yep (laughs) so good just imagine being and i apologize for this language but it's really the only way to sum it up such a little bitch that you can't handle someone giving you too good a service Uh, God. Um, 
No, I was I I did see on Twitter though, which is co- related to fucking people being awful to people with shitty lives, the whole trend about giving orders to like Amazon workers at the doorbell, which is a thing now. It's like fuck off. Yeah, if you have a doorbell camera, I want to burn down your house. By the way, just throwing that out there. God, today is an episode where I get sad, which is annoying because I love this record. Well, don't worry. We can just talk about drinking once again with Hung Up On You. While I down Kentucky bourbon, I am waiting for a call. And the moon and stars tonight are playing shadows on the wall. With the moon the way it is, dear, would you answer out of spite? Or are you feeling Okay, I'll just let you, this is another skip for me because I don't understand country, I'm not from America, so please just like talk about this. You are, you, we, are we brought in an expert on American culture, Sybil, so let's talk to us about country. Alright, so... This, this is just straight up a country song. Oh yeah, There's this is no... honky-tonk as all hell. Yeah. But no, this would just be straight up talking about you had a breakup with someone... And now you're out getting drunk at Jimmy's bar because all you're going to do is just, well, here's the line, Uh, with an appetite for poison and a suitcase full of dimes. And I'll wait there by the payphone with 100 other guys with those sorry hung up teardrops in our eyes. And I can't dial the phone just now, even though I know your number can't bring my broken heart to be untrue. So, yeah, the whole thing is about a guy who got dumped and still wants to get back with this girl, but instead he is going to just get shit hammered. And it's a, it's the old country joke about, you know, you play the country song in reverse and your dog comes back to life. Your truck starts working and your wife comes back to you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have nothing on this. Do you have anything else? No, it's it's very good for a genre that uh, is a weird left turn on the record. Yeah, this is the sort of so the first half of the record is very tight pop songs, and the second half of the record is we're now gonna do whatever the shit we want from Haley's Waitress. <laughs> this being a sixteen slash seventeen track long album is. A little overkill, but very rarely did I think it dragged. Yeah, they, 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 when it starts dragging, they're just like, what if we do something else? Mm-hmm. And now let's go to Fire Island. Where you get all the bad cheese sandwiches and underwhelming concerts you can handle. We're all in a to take care of each other. So is Fire Island a real place? Fire Island 
is a real place. Okay, it just like when I hear it with no context, it just sounds like a location from the Pokemon TCG Game Boy game. Okay, so Fire Island is another these guys live in New England thing. It is a tourist destination just off of Long Island that is basically a shitty beach you can chill at. It's got a lot of old people, Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett energy. Okay, this is a, one of the songs with really weird lyrics in an interesting way. So it makes sense if you have the context about it. Okay, but like, what, what are your what are your comparisons? It's it's like really weirdly dark with the whole kid feeding chocolate to the dog and stuff. I don't have any context with this. It's just like. Oh, the kids are having a party and it's like weirdly dark and there is the irony that they say, oh, we're fine, we can take care of each other. And it's really weird. It's like a pleasant slow pop song contrasted by the sort of odd lyrics. Oh, yeah. No, it's saying, yeah, our parents went to the tourist trap, but we're not old enough for that. But they're like, ah, we don't need to pay a babysitter. And they're just doing every stupid teen activity possible driving on the lawn sleeping on the roof drinking all the alcohol yeah like again the tone of the music on the song it's really like so not somber but it's like really sort of like the ch this chill sleepy song it's a beatles track i mean a lot of the tracks are beatles track and i'm not against that fun fact i like the beatles oh no no, no. that's that's just the disparaging way I would be more into this song as a gag if it had a different musical accompaniment, but I was just thinking due to the pacing and instrumentation. Oh boy, we're here again. I think the contrast between the lyrics and the sort of slow, chill vibe of the music, I think that is part of the joke and it's really good. That's fair. And then we go to Peace and Love. Peace and Speaking of the Beatles in a bad way. Yeah, this is another big joke of a song in a way. <laughs> I This is not great, but it's interesting. I need to talk about Peace and Love together with the next track, Bought for a Song. So why don't you get your bit on Peace and Love out first, and then I'll go into this as a bridge. Okay, that's interesting. I like Bought for a Song a lot more than Peace and Love. I think Peace and Love is, I think Peace and Love is more of a one-dimensional joke. Mm -hmm. in that this is the point where they sort of do whatever and this is sort of like a tongue-in-cheek song about peace and love in a very 2000 making fun of hippies kind of way and uh, and yeah I, I, I don't think this is particularly good or fun it's sort of a one-dimensional joke and I don't have much to say about it I think the next song is much better the next song is actually like fun and very listenable and you know okay so uh peace and love actually has an ending that flows directly into 
the next track, Bought for a Song, which is not something that happens a lot on this record. So I took a lot of weird similarities between them to be that was intentional. Maybe another band would have had more stones and made them one seven-minute track instead of this weird divide in what's clearly one piece, but this is peak all the things I was talking about that kind of irked me about Fountains of Wayne through the record, like, we're gonna throw in a Volkswagen band. We're gonna throw in a the weird line about the people upside down in Japan. Uh, there's a lot of sense of superiority with how I got crazy karma, never harmed a single soul. Uh, moving up to Vermont because that's where the hippies go if you're up in New England. They don't come from the California, no. But all of this is just ripping on 60s hippies and Ha! Isn't it stupid that they like those things or try to have some kind of perspective or just be... It doesn't even call them haughtier. They're, the only line is, I got crazy karma, never harmed a single soul. But then yeah, we... It's very, again, it's very 2000 making fun of hippies, which was a thing in the 2000 for some reason. Mm -hmm. It's weird. And then we go into Bought for a Song, which, again with all the references and brand name drops, is talking about how dare you sell out. You know, before you get sold, you get bought for a song. They're throwing around different places. Like, I guess I'll go to Japan. It all looks the same when you stump for the man. And especially with the opening line on this, you know, come on, get your ass out of bed. You heard what the man said. The crew's already gone. We were all kind of high, but man, what were you on? It recontextualizes the last track as being, yo, we're out on tour. My dude got into some absolute shit that just, he turned into a hippie for one night and now he's hungover. And well, guess what? Turns out you got owned because you're corporate. I mean, I don't think that's a bad reading of... I think that is... Yeah, that is most likely intentional. Also, two things I hate about this track. One, it does not need to be four minutes long. I was actually checking the time at 3.08, going, why is there another minute of this? And two, this is Bon Jovi. This is just trying to be Bon Jovi. Oh, come on. This is not Bon Jovi. This is not hair metal. This is 70s rock. Bon Jovi was in the 70s, Ellie. Uh, I don't agree. I actually really like the song. I think I get your worries about, you know, I get your complaint, your, you know, problems with the lyrics. And I think that is very fair. This is a fantastic rock song. Ah. Bluesy 70 guitar goes into this great weird piano and voice chorus. It's like very power poppy, very great energy. The tune is catchy. 
I think this is a very tight rock song and I really like it. I might be higher on it if it weren't for all the connections to the last one, which taint this whole thing for me. I completely understand it, and I share your sort of, like, problems with the whole joke of these two songs. I don't think... I think... Yeah. It's a, it's a bit very 2000s, but... Musically, this rules. I'm sorry. I, I can really... On a musical level, I can really find no faults in, the, in this. This is just so fun. This is going back to what the record was before the, the sort of hard turn. Where it's another really catchy, really direct pop rock song. After this comes Super Collider. American Oasis, yes. This is just Oasis. This is American Oasis. This is not just Oasis in the way that, Amer- that American Hi-Fi song was literally just Oasis. They definitely put their own spin on it. But this is, again, that kind of Beatles-y, we Oasis love the Beatles, and they love the Beatles. And um, it's fine. I don't think it's my favorite on the record, I think. It's not, you know, there's better things on the record. This is fine, though. This is definitely Oasis-inspired. It's inspired by the weakest bits of Oasis. The the two brothers can't stand to be in the same room with each other and the hate is leaking onto the track Oasis. And so instead, the longest song on the record just turns into bad indie pop. This is the Jungian Shadow to the Garden State soundtrack. This is a Zach Braff tier chosen because it makes you sound deep, man, track that is continuing to be more shitting on the 60s and psychedelia. I don't think there's any actual non-ironic love for psychedelia on this record because especially... Gather round the gas tower. Don't it look like a bong? I heard it backwards, hidden in a Pink Floyd song. I think, uh, well, I agree on the lyrical level. I think there's definitely some love for the sound of those bands. That's genuine. I, I think they they use these sounds because they love them, even if though they're sort of like Gen Xer, ironic kind of culture makes them scoff at uh, the, the culture really lyrically. But I do feel that the sounds from that generation are used in a wide enough way and well enough that there's definitely at least some musical love for that kind of era. I I was less than fond of Super Collider, and especially with this being, at least on the original printing, the um, last full track of the record, it's like, ugh, what a close. Is it the last full track of the record? Um, yours and mine is the final track slash outro on the original printing. Elevator Up was a bonus track in most early releases. That is fair. I think Elevator Up is a fantastic ending, but yeah. Oh yeah, no, I I really like Elevator Up. The fact that that was not on every version from what I read. Let me double check this. 
Yeah. Um, Japan bonus track later released on iTunes and Spotify, also included on all vinyl pressings, which came years later. Yeah, if this was the last full... If, if this didn't have Elevator Rap, I would dislike this song a lot more. I agree. In about an hour, the sunlight's gonna fade. And you and me will divvy up the wine. Like everything else here, yours and mine. Picking up the paper, coffee. So there is one outro track. Uh, it's it's a minute long. It's called Yours and Mine. It's got some kazoo, and they're basically just doing spoken word. Yeah, that's fine. Let's talk about elevator ramp. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the thing that's an actual song. is extremely Beatlesy. This is like straight up from Revolver. Really? Okay, because... I thought so. I think this is definitely when the Beatles got sort of like more rock and harder on Revolver. Oh, it's see, really I thought of this is... That. We tried to be Stone Temple Pilots without the heroin. Okay, that is a very weird comparison to me, but sure. Like, this Anyhow, is... This is a very energetic yeah. rock song with some great vocals, sort of like great gritty vocals in this. And it's like, again, when when Fountains of Wayne go full, like, pop rock with that kind of vintage power pop feel, it rules. It's great. No, this is just straight up. We are going to go on a fucking bender in New York City, do clubs, do drugs, all sorts of shit. It's, yeah, I, this has very Scott Weiland energy to me, and I really felt this was a good sound for them that was like, oh yeah, this is a great closing. This is energetic. I could see myself jamming out to this. It doesn't go too hard. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, no, we don't do any of that bad stuff. It's a little circumspect about its drug references, but they're talking about the fact that they're going out on the street Say hello to Molly. She's got a sister as well. Such a pleasant girl, as far as your family can tell. Mm hmm. But yeah, everything talking about I don't want to come down, elevator up, token on the train, hanging out with sinners. They're trying to sound a little harder than they are, but they don't have the edge of someone who's been in this scene. However, it's still a very good power pop track, and I think this could have been a really good single for them had it been on the record. Mm -hmm. I am so all of the version of this record that I ever listened have this track, and I always thought this was a great closer. And I'm really surprised now that I learned that this was a bonus track. It's it, the the version of this record that closes with Super Collider into yours and mine. It's a way sadder version of this record. Yeah, no kidding. No, this is a really good closing track. Do we want to go to the final thoughts? Let's.
I think Welcome Interstate Managers is, again, it's a solid four out of five record for me. I think some of that might come down to where my tastes lie compared to yours, but this is not a bad record. This is an overstuffed record at worst, and the fact that they can go into so many genres, so many sounds, and the only times I can really criticize it are, boy, this is sure a style I don't like, speaks to a lot about their skill as performers, their lyrics are overall solid, and it is a solid, interesting sound that kept me captivated 99% of the time. I enjoyed this record. Uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite pop records ever. It's the straight-up pop songs on this record are so good. They're fantastic. The rock songs have some great guitar. They don't really do anything new. They're very derivative, but in a way that's, that works. Like, they know what works in those genres, and they can synthesize it for a pop generation of the 2000s very well. They can... They definitely take that kind of 70s rock and polish it very well for, like, the pop radio of the 2000s, which I think is fantastic, and it's not a thing everyone, anyone can do. Um, there are a couple of clankers on this because they try so many different things, but I don't think that's... You know, when the... I appreciate, as you said, a record that tries a lot of things and still gives it... Because that's the interesting, because that's the interesting part, right? It tries a lot of things, but it does it with a very consistent sort of thematic through line, and both musically and writing-wise. So it's a record that both tries a lot of things, goes to a lot of places, but it's also but also has a definite personality, which are two things that are generally different, diff difficult to like make coincide with each other, and they work here. And again, the core of it is. God, these pop songs are good. God, the choruses are tight and everyone is so tastefully produced. This is a fantastic record, and yeah. Yeah, listen to this record. It's good. It's great. It's, again, it is a basic take to be like, actually, the Stasis Mom dudes were really good, but actually, the Stasis Mom dudes were really good. So, yeah. Here is the thing. A lot of one-hit wonders are worth investigating, a little distant from their biggest song, just to see what they were actually like under the surface. And sometimes you'll find some real surprises there, especially if they were maybe bigger in other chunks of the world than your own and they only got pigeonholed there. I don't think Phantoms of Wayne was ever big in another chunk of the world because they're very American, but I get what you're saying. Oh, yeah, I'm saying that that used to be more of a thing. We're kind... I don't know that we really have... I guess there are still one-hit wonders. I would be a fool if I just went on the record and said, Nah, they got rid of that in this day, day I mean, and age. isn't TikTok a, basically a factory for hit one-hit wonders? Kind of, although I don't know that you get the same universal success that you used to. That is fair. We don't have the monoculture anymore, but <sighs> I don't know. It's The big question, honestly, at this point is like, are there really pop hits in the way that there were in the 2000s in the modern times? I think there, there definitely still are. 
I think they're way more sparse, like the unescapable puppet. I'm just going to see what the top 10 charts were from Billboard. I, j- I'm, I just think that like the top, like yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The top Billboard hits are not something that I encounter in the wild, neither here nor in the UK, which, you know, here, of course, here the musical culture is horrible in Italy, but even when I was in the UK, like, top re- top hits, are the ones that are considered top hits by big artists, are not something that you really encounter into the wild anymore. They're not inescapable anymore. There's not that kind of enormous pop success, at least on a wider cultural level, I feel. So I'm just looking over the top 20 right now, and I've definitely heard many of these, but also a lot of them are artists I was already tuned into. The Weeknd mm-hmm. and Ariana Grande, Little Nas X, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, Ed Sheeran I can hear here and there. So the the very top ones, I don't know who the fuck, this, I know who Adele is, but Glass Animals has a new effort out? Huh. Yeah, no, it's there's a lot of these where number one right now is I don't know what the fuck this is. We don't talk about Bruno by Carolina Gaetan, Morano Castillo. Oh, that is from the film. That is from Encanto, I believe. It's okay. a meme on Twitter. Gotcha. Because I don't know what the fucking Encanto is. So, so what I'm trying to get to is, and this is my example. I am a person with very specific music taste who I pay attention. I used to pay attention to pop music more than I do now. But I couldn't tell you what songs are big right now in the pop sphere. And I don't think that if I was in the 2000s, I couldn't tell. Like, I don't think that would be true if I was in the 2000s. If I was in the 2000s, I would 100% know because, as you said, monoculture. Like, culture was big. That mainstream culture was big and very, very spread. I think we're more and more just moving into like niches where like yes there is there is the big ten pole stuff that we see on social media and stuff for a lot of media but especially musically I don't feel like the mainstream music is so omnipresent anymore. I agree. And and that makes hit one hit wonder to get even more difficult to exist, but yeah. But it does also mean that Especially with things like Bandcamp, and we're in the we're recording this the week of the cancel Spotify bit with Neil Young and a lot of other artists starting to push back against the platform and talking about how streaming basically fucks them at every level, especially if you're not someone on the level of a longtime artist. So it's a very interesting discussion right now, and. I'm interested to see what the long-term ramifications of this are, if there's a certain class who will actually change, if things like Bandcamp Fridays, which I know I've spent a lot more on music in the past year because I can just catch a few albums, scoop them up into the next one, and then give those guys more money, and I'll pick things up during the break during other weeks because, hey, sometimes I just want a new record. I heard some shit that sounded good. But it's interesting to see that I can just stay in my own little corner 
and find a few people at a time. And I don't think these are artists who will ever be played on the radio. One O Tricks Point Never has scored multiple award-winning films now, sometimes under his birth name. But this is also a guy who I can just get random electronic out of if I just go through the Warp Records back catalog. And that's even the most popular artists of that genre from the era. Aphex Twin, not gonna hear that anywhere outside of your own feed anymore. I think we're at a very interesting stage of uh, music, and I don't know, you know, as not being a artist, a musical artist, I don't know if it's good or bad. I know that it's hard a lot out there for a lot of artists, and it's also like this weird condition where it's like, I know, I'm going to use an example. I really like a, a, a small band named, uh, a small band called uh, Good Kid. They do very, like, really catchy, sort of like Strokes-inspired kind of pop. And I think they're really good. And my thought on them with them is, has always been like, these are the kind of thing that, like, 10 years ago would have been big. Like, they might have gotten a radio single at some point. And I don't think that's true anymore. Like, they're not even signed. They're doing all right. They have an audience. They sell their record through Bandcamp. And they're doing all right. I just think, like, fame has become so fucking relative, you know? Like, how can you tell that a band is doing good? Because there's, like, a lot of bands that, like, yeah, we all know them, but, like, especially if you're, like, into, like, a specific genre or into a specific kind of vibe of music... But they're not big, right? They probably still have a fucking day job or barely don't, don't need a day job. It's like, music has come to the point where... It, and I'm not saying this is a negative. I'm not doing the fucking video game arguments. There are too many video games because fuck that. But music has become extremely fragmentized in a way. And it's really difficult to define culture or define success Unless you're, of course, you're a top 40 artist and you're, by definition, making millions. But that is such an exception. And again, this correlates with the fact of the one-hit wonder. I think, like, a band like Good Kid could have put... They're a bit quirky, you know, they make... They made a song where they kept saying it's about Donkey Kong and shit like that. They could have had, in the past, in that way, a one-hit wonder and had sort of, quote-unquote, success. But that is not what success is nowadays anymore. And now I'm just rambling and I will end here. Culture is weird. Capital Late capitalism is weird, is what I'm trying to say. We're all living in weird times. Support bands that you like. I think the conclusion here is, as you said, go on fucking Bandcamp and support bands that you like because we're, we're, we're all dying here. Well, just buying one record is more than you'd probably get in royalties, even without the 100% share of a Bandcamp Friday, one sale is probably more than you get in a year of streaming residuals. Buy a CD. Buy some shirts. Wear some band t-shirts. Same song, different chorus. This was an episode. Get out of this town.com is our website. I don't remember our email, but you can tweet us at GGOOTT podcast. Um, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Spotify, you can find us probably not on Deezer. And if you're on Apple Podcasts for some reason, 
please leave us a review or a rating. You don't even have to listen to us regularly. If you if you like us, just like install Apple Podcasts, leave us a review or rating, and then you can uninstall it. And uh, and that's basically like buying a record on Bandcamp. That is the equivalent for podcasts of buying a record on Bandcamp. And you don't even have to pay money to leave a comment. In fact, we will pay you. We will not pay you. I don't have money to pay you. But... We'll pay you in exposure. <laughs> uh, have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.